the intelligence that I've found is so far vaster than what I could imagine an outcome of the design to be. It's far more intelligent, complex, sophisticated, elegant, beautiful, and efficient and effective than I could even imagine in my biggest, brightest moments. It just blows my mind over and over again. But it requires this letting go of the grip on the known. Welcome to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. I'm your host, Dan Palmer, and this right here, right now, is episode number 15. A, a super exciting episode in which I have a, a wonderful conversation with the originator of something called Possibility Management. His name is Clinton Callahan, and as a bit of a lead-in to this episode, I have to tell you a bit of a story. So fast forward through the story if you want to cut to the chase, otherwise sit back and listen. So uh, it was in May of last year, I made a visit to the home of David Holmgren and Sue Dennett. During the visit, I gravitated towards their, they've got a coffee table. I don't think they actually use it as a coffee table, but it looks like a coffee table. It's covered in books. And I always go and check it out whenever I visit because there's usually a lot of really cool books there. David gets sent books by people thanking him for inspiring them or sometimes wanting his um, uh, feedback or him to write a preface or, you know, whatever. And so there's always all these really cool books there sitting there. And I always check them out, you know, and they're usually around edible forest gardening and permaculture design and, you know, what you might expect. And there was a halo of those normal kind of books on the table there. And in the middle, there was this big red book with a picture of a, like a flower stamen petals and things and the title was radiant joy brilliant love and so it like it really you know stuck out like a <clears throat> you know a do- it really stuck out let's just say like a sore thumb let's go with that I thought wow a bit different <laughs> you know, kind of looked a bit it had a bit of a new age flavor i suppose well that's where my mind went when i saw the saw the cover anyway i pick it up and I, I, what I do often when I pick up a book is I just open it at a random page and just skim that page. If nothing speaks to me, I'll put it down and we're done. But if there's something in there, whether it's the style of the author or, or mention of a topic or you know whatever that, that I'm into, I'll go to another page and so on. If it keeps doing that, I'll eventually read the whole book. Anyway, I opened it at a random page and there was this really clear explanation of a very, very common dynamic in human relationships that was just so useful in like in a few moments it gave me a new level of clarity about the dynamic that I was experiencing at the time in, in one aspect of my life and I was like whoa and I turned to another page and it was something similar and so the decision was made I asked if I could borrow the book which Dave and Sue were happy for me to run off with it so I did that and then I must it must have been like the next six months or so I, I worked through the book one thing that I read on the back it said something like this your mind will not work with this book. This book will work with your mind. This book is something like filled with a, a whole lot of mimetic viruses that will get inside and reorder you. Something to that effect. I thought, okay, it sounds a bit, I don't know, ambitious. Turned out to be true. So, you know, I, re- I read the book and it's 
full of these amazingly clear distinctions and concepts to do with human relationship and the idea that most of us in modern Western culture spend most of our time on what the book calls ordinary human relationship. And there's certain behaviours that keep us there, but they're all behaviours that we can understand better. And we, if we choose to, we can change them and navigate our relationships into the space of what the book calls extraordinary relationships and so on. I mean, that's just a hint. It's a crazy book. It felt like it was 200 books condensed into one. And I was struck with how clearly it was written and just how useful I found it in, in, in everyday life. A theme that echoed back and forth throughout the book for me was around generative creation, around bringing your fully present or well, a higher degree of presence than, for, than I was used to anyway. And all, all the resources you have available to the situation in a way where you can generate possibilities and hence actualities that may have otherwise been inaccessible. That was how this all started. This thing was on my radar and I was really fascinated and I, I think I, I must have googled possibility management Clinton Callahan. So I thought man this stuff seems really good like even in two pages there's I'm getting more value than some entire books I've read. It must have made its way around the planet and I was curious to find that it there's something of a, a community of practice around possibility management over in, in Europe and centred in Germany, where Clinton has been based for quite some years, even though these days he's a nomad. And it was just getting off the ground here in Australia and in New Zealand. There'd been a couple of trainings. Just like in permaculture, we have a permaculture design course, which is the foundational sort of entry into permaculture. In possibility management, there's these things called expand the box. The box referring to our personality and how it's possible to crack that open and expand it and have that reorganize itself to create more possibilities in life. I tracked down one of these trainings and I was thinking about doing it. It was in April this year in here in Australia, but I was in New Zealand for summer. And while I was over there, for some, for some reason it came across my radar that Clinton himself and his colleague Anne Chloe were to be running a five-day Expand the Box training in Wellington, in New Zealand. And it turned out that, huge gratitude to my wife, because I didn't think it was possible at first, we were going to be coming back to Australia and wife and kids and everything. She was like, let's do it, let's make it happen. So we, we worked it out and freed up the time, and I spent this incredible five days in this marae, a Māori village that was truly amazing, like the design process that created that. I, I'm, I'll be going back there to learn more from that whole experience and the, and the beautiful people there. Clinton and, and Chloe led this five-day training, which was fantastic. I'd already gotten so much value out of moving through the book and, and applying what I was learning to experiments in, in everyday life. But as you can imagine, actually going through a long-evolved workshop was a whole new thing. And along the way, I went there with the clear intention also of not only benefiting from the training personally, but also hoping to connect with Clinton and explore the possibility of collaborating or supporting the resonance I felt between possibility management and permaculture. And over a couple of lunchtimes, we got the ball rolling, had some really great chats, and I left feeling really pumped about um, continuing that, that conversation, that collaboration. And I, it was only a week or 10 days later when I had the little epiphany, realization that I share, uh, you hear, hear me share in conversation with Clinton shortly, which I shared with him and he said, oh, let's, let's I, you know, I suggested maybe we have a chat about it. He said, yeah, let's do it. I'm free tomorrow or Thursday or whatever. So we booked it in and that is the story about how this podcast episode came to be. This is the longest intro ever. I get that. I'm going to shut up and cut to the chat now. Enjoy. And I will check in with you again at the end. 
So here I am, very excited to be in conversation with Clinton Callahan, who I met like, I don't know, a couple of weeks back and has, I believe, a huge amount to offer permaculture. I am to record later and insert as, as part of the intro, the story about how I came across Clinton's book called Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love, and how I intercepted it. Clinton had sent it to David Holmgren, sensing that, it, that his work had some sort of resonance and maybe some stuff to offer permaculture. And I ducked off with it. I'm yet to give it back to him. But I, I read the book. I found it incredibly useful personally and all these new ideas about navigating space and life and moving from standard, ordinary relationships personally, professionally, in, into the space of extraordinary. And then there's even some stuff beyond that. And, and I really got a feel of resonance with the stuff around generative transformation or, or kind of healthy living process that enhances life and beauty and wholeness. That inspired me when I found about uh, the training in a five-day training called Expand the Box in Wellington, New Zealand, uh, to show up to that. Similarly there, I got a lot of value personally as a trainee and was so delighted to kick off some conversations with you Clinton around the resonance and the exciting edges and overlaps between possibility management and permaculture which you've been developing for a, sim a roughly a similar time period right like permaculture was developed in the late mid to late 70s and you've mm -hmm. been at it for a similar time that's right that's right and to my knowledge until I came across this book on David Holmgren's coffee table I never heard of possibility management which is the general name of your approach and I thought I'd mention too that part of how you talk about your approach is in terms of what you call next culture, this idea that current mainstream modern culture is comprised mainly of uninitiated children or immature mindsets and activities that are effectively wrecking havoc in all directions and that a lot more is possible, which resonates so much with, with permaculture, permanent culture, which is what would it look what what would a culture that could persist and not screw everything up look like? So already there, it's like ding ding ding. <laughs> Maybe before I open it up to you, I could, I could share that I, I think it's two days ago now I had this epiphany, which was I was sitting with the canonical definitions of permaculture, which all start with this idea of conscious design, of consciously designing nature mimicking systems that provide for human needs locally, as well as enhancing local and bioregional ecosystem health, which anyone into permaculture will know that's pretty close to the core, the essence of what permaculture is about. And of course, it starts with these two words, conscious design. And having read some of your stuff and spent time in one of your trainings, I realized how important this word conscious is. And I thought, wow, what a great way to explore how these two approaches, these things you call, in your language, you call game worlds, permaculture being a game world and possibility management being a game world, how, how they might intersect. And I thought I'd just share quickly a few flavors of my own work with this word design and then bring you in with this word conscious. As listeners of this podcast and followers of, of the blog will know, I've been really poking around this idea of design. And one issue I've come to have with it is that in a dictionary definition, design is about upfront planning. It's about drawing a picture or a plan and at some point later implementing it. So I'm moving towards the word creation. That's what permaculture is really about, is creating these amazing, abundant, regenerative systems that are good for people and place where design is part of that mix. But I'm pushing through the, the fog of this word design and arriving at this idea of creation and related ideas of transformation and generating and moving more to how nature creates itself as opposed to falling into the culturally dominant default design processes approaches, which are about master planning and prioritizing rationality and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, if we move from design to creation, then we can say, well, permaculture is about conscious creation. And before we even move on to what we're creating, there's this word conscious. And a big part of my discovery, inquiring and experimenting and practicing in this domain for over 10 years now, is that 
so much of what I see and have seen in myself and others, I can't say it's conscious creation. It's, it's unconsciously perpetuating, regurgitating, propagating culturally dominant ideas about design and creation, which to me contradict the essence of what permaculture is about and make it much harder for permaculture to realize its beautiful gift or its offering in, in the world. And so, yeah, I thought it would be really exciting today to have you speak to of conscious creation and what that means for you. And, and we just, we see where it goes. Thank you. When you first told me about your realization about how the word conscious is the first part of the description of, of how permaculture would be presented in a person's mind or in their life or in their work, it was a, it's a big thing to think about that maybe we weren't conscious of using the word conscious when we were, when the original intention was to use the word conscious with regards to permaculture and what happened to that? Where has that gone? Like how, how can something so big and important slip through the fingers of the designers when it's the first, the gateway word to the whole idea of what permaculture could really be about? So in the work that we're doing over here in possibility management, consciousness is also a big word. And I, I don't pretend to have a definition of consciousness because it's almost like consciousness would be bigger than any definition that you could bring to it. At the same time, there's, I think there's ways to go at this that make real sense and practical sense, particularly with regards to human beings in our predicament right now on the planet with what's emerging as design errors. I mean, there's really, there's so many design errors right now with regards to, for example, using hierarchical power structures in organizations which are so easily hijacked by the psychopathic agenda because it's the psychopaths who are most skilled at doing whatever it takes to get a position of power. And so if we submit all our, our important decisions, uh, political, scientific, religious, educational, med medical, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, agricultural decisions to organizations that are designed with a hierarchical power structure, it's a design error. And so how do we approach these things with a more conscious orientation, starting from ourselves, you know, starting from you and me and our people listening and thinking about the stuff we're diving into here. And I just want to say a number of permaculture people have been using possibility management for a number of years right now, and there is this resonance between the approach, the approach of, of taking more higher levels of responsibility for things that maybe most people don't realize we can take responsibility for. And so going at it from that way, I think about responsibility as applied consciousness. Like responsibility itself is consciousness in action. And so here's this word consciousness, being brought into practical reality and showing up in ways that empower us to take ownership of and make choice about and take action in domains and actually source works in uh, domains that other approaches wouldn't allow us to. So if we're doing permaculture and we're using conscious permaculture, it's saying that we can make choices about, take actions with and source more aware results than we would be if we were not using conscious work. So consciousness then to me is really getting to, to mean what are we aware of? 
And in fact, what are we aware of that we're aware of? So becoming aware of what you're aware of, I find that to be an experience, a direct experience of consciousness. So that as I'm working in my daily life and as I'm working with people and projects and game worlds, as you say, for example, right now I'm I'm talking to you from TUI, which is a conscious community. So all of a sudden the word conscious is there again. Conscious community. It's an intentionally created community of people in the North Island of on the north part of the South Island of New Zealand called TUI Community. It's been around for 35 years. And the way they implement permaculture here and the way that they've been using the permaculture in the land, we've just started using it in their in their social organization with the people. So it was a, a total dive into exactly the conversation we're talking about, which is how do you take the outer permaculture of what people know today of is permaculture and how do you bring that how do you bring the principles of permaculture in alignment with the principles of conscious community and inner permaculture you know the development of a person's inner garden and inner resources and bring the two together because i'm i'm pretty clear about that having been in a couple of permaculture projects myself that if you don't work on the inner permaculture of each person involved and of the organization itself and the project itself, the outer permaculture isn't going to persist. It will, it will come apart at the seams for one reason or another. If, you know, if I plant trees now, who's to say nobody's going to cut them down 25 years from now? Because the inner permaculture is not developed as much as the outer permaculture, that kind of thing. So consciousness is this being aware of what we're aware of and giving us choices about what kind of choices we can make and opening up a whole domain of inner permaculture in parallel with the outer permaculture that's been developed. And I, I think it's a fabulously rich domain to dive into and work with. And I think so many people are hungry for this. I think so many people actually enter the area of permaculture seeking and hungry for ways to work with their inner resources in themselves and activate them in, in new ways, more conscious ways. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of these people that are so hungry for the stuff and, and so excited. One thing I realized is that it's almost like I, I might put it in terms of a consciousness blind spot or, or hazy spot in permaculture. Cause one thing that permaculture has a great deal of consciousness about a great deal of awareness about is the, the dynamics of healthy ecosystems. You know, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge part of permaculture's value, I think, and what it, what it brings is a lot of ecological literacy, energy literacy, reading the patterns of nature, all that stuff. And a lot of that I see is awareness around the important aspects, like a lot of permaculture principles are, are functional descriptions of characteristics of healthy systems. And as you were talking this, just for the listeners, the way Clinton and his collaborators share possibility management is through these things they're called fort maps so if i because I, mm. I might just refer to when you said when you shared this map just so you know what i mean the, the thought maps and each thought map shares one very piercingly clear <laughs> distinction which um, you then get to try out and experience inside your own internal ecology one of the maps you presented was was what you called the map of new results the idea being that if you want a different result 
Mm. You need to take different actions. And then there's a sort of chain. If you want different actions, you need to make different decisions and so on. And it kind of came back to you need different, what you call thoughtware. You basically need a different sort of set of assumptions and, and ideas and, and processes. And, and my work, I'm always open to conversation about this, but what I've found in myself and, and in permaculture in general, going through the literature and practicing and talking and having all these conversations as a podcast, is that the, the ecological literacy, the literacy in, about healthy nature mimicking outcomes is off the charts in permaculture, the literacy around the dynamics of processes that are reliably able to generate that kind of stuff, there's a relative lack of process literacy there. And often I also think that the focus on outer ecological outcomes, as great as it is, it can not so distract us, but what excites me about your work is that it's so damned general, you know, like this idea of mm. conscious creation inside, outside, in any context at all, where it's the nature of the process you use. And like you say, how aware you are of the process that lets you get better at the process. And then you can point this thing in any direction. And whether it's an eco village or a, you know, intentional community or even a permaculture garden or whatever, at whatever scale, or in my own experience, I'm realizing, holy shit, the same stuff is I become more process literate and more aware of what I'm focusing on and, and what's going on and what that means for the outcomes. This stuff applies a hundred percent as equally to my relationship with my wife and my children and my relationship to my process of cooking dinner you know, or, or laying out my, my living room. It just, and that, that was a crazy kind of epiphany for me several years ago. I was like, holy shit, this is not about designing um, ecological systems anymore. It's, the more I go into that, the more general this gets. One colleague I was thinking of as you were talking to was Dave Jackie, who would be amazing for you guys to connect if you haven't already, but he's very much about becoming the same stuff, about more conscious of process. I remember one time him, him saying to me, he tries to pay attention to what's going on in his awareness as a process is unfolding. One time he said, I try and catch myself making a key design decision. <laughs> he sees it coming and it's like this little blackout and then he's looking back at it. And he's, he's trying to get better at actually noticing these moments, which I found the work I've done with you and, and what I've learned from you is, is so much about that, just becoming really clear and aware of, of the dynamics of what's going on right now inside me and what, what that means mm -hmm. for what happens next. Yeah. There's this, using the word conscious implies something, a, a final state, or if I'm conscious of something, then that's as conscious as I can be about it, or that there is a state of consciousness that you can achieve that is the final state of consciousness about anything in particular. And I don't think that's true. I don't actually know how it works, but I think consciousness is some kind of a fractal thing where I get a little bit of consciousness here, but there's a much higher resolution of consciousness about the same thing that I can have. And it blows me away if I look back in my life and see what I've learned about that I didn't know that I didn't know about. It just blows me away, even though at the time, back then, I thought I was a hotshot. You know, I thought I had it together. I thought I understood things. I thought things were really working, you know. And, and in fact, if I could only go back there with what I know now, okay, well, five years from now, I'm going to think the same thing about this moment. And so it's this, I think that's one of the hidden insights about consciousness is that it's in flux or it evolves or it be, it's possible to become more and more consciousness, conscious. And I don't think there's a top end. I really don't think there's a top end. And that's, I think that's bothersome for the Western mind because we want to think that there is a top end. There is a, a set level of consciousness. And the, the thing about the evolution of consciousness is the evolution part, which is, okay, 
here I am, I've got this awareness, I have this understanding, I see things as I see them, and it is like it is. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the rug is pulled out, and I'm falling in a, in a spaciousness of a vaster consciousness or more awareness, where I don't know the limits of it right now. So there's no, I have no reference points, I've got no, I don't know where I am or how it's going or what happens next, and I'm in this, this liquid state, I call it a liquid state, where things are reordering both inside me and around me so that my relationship to my projects and my work and the people is in a shift state and that liquid state is we're not trained for that in a western world we're not trained for that and you know you can look at plants and you can see them go through you know winter spring summer fall winter you can see them go through these cycles but i don't think we've included that in ourselves because we you can go through a winter spring summer fall winter cycle in a matter of a few minutes when you realize something new but the dissolution state the the composting state the the state of going back into becoming fertilizer for yourself out of which the next thing emerges and grows uh that's we're not trained in that and we i think it's crucial oversight i think I think that's such a integral part of consciousness and the evolution of consciousness that if we don't start doing that right away um we're we're stuck this is really i think a big stuck place yeah totally totally as as you're talking like a plant going through the cycles i I actually i'm thinking of a metaphor often used which is around the like an acorn right to to germinate and grow this the shell has to crack and this Mm. evolution and consciousness or just you know consciousness awareness of our inner workings of our processes that we constantly developing shells which are really useful because they support and hold the process to ha- that needs to happen then to happen you know the cocoon of the of the butterfly that's yet to to happen but at some point their job is to crack and fall away and, and to become fertilized and as as i i hadn't made as clear the connection with that that's exactly my experience of doing the work i have a, I have a little bit of, i'm noticing a bit of frustration <laughs> for some listeners I'm, I'm just like jesus i just want you to come along to one of these bloody experiences because we're talking about it and that's great and you can think about it but uh, and, and, and as you explained, you like to present these ideas so the mind can grasp them such that when you go into the experience and your your mind is freaking out because you, <laughs> you haven't been before and shells are cracking and in a sense all hell is breaking loose inside, at least your mind can say, oh, well, oh, he, he, yeah, he just, they just explained that it's okay <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, and you you mentioned the idea of, or another one of your maps, which you brought in from somewhere else, but was this progression from unconscious incompetence. And it, it relates so much to my own journey with permaculture design, because initially I was unconscious that my the process I was using professionally, personally, it, was, it had become incompetent. And then I slowly realized, oh, right, I'm aware of the fact that I'm using these process dynamics, you know, with, with stuff I'd learned about rationally dominant master planning finish your design, then start your implementation, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I was effectively selling pretty pictures to clients. You know, here's your master plan, here's your invoice. I became conscious that that was, that was an incompetent process in terms of really achieving what I want to achieve in the world. And then you go through that phase of you're unconscious, you're, you're incompetent, you become conscious, you're incompetent, which is, is a shell cracking experience. You know, you, it's, you go into a liquid state, it's part of you wants to say, I'll just forget that, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because that was safe and reliable <laughs> and it paid the bills, you know. But I got to the point where that, the crack was wide enough that it was just like, nah, it's going to fall away. And then, and, so, and then you become conscious of your competence or your increasing competence, even though it's an endless evolution, and then eventually unconsciously competent. And, and, and again, this new kind of layer of working and being in process becomes unconscious, which lays the ground and I guess over time ossifies and rigidifies into another shell for the next round. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, there's a trick there, which is to not let it ossify. Okay. And so, and really for that, it requires, in my experience, it requires a kind of a support team or a group of people who, who can so, you know, be like the background or the support so that when, as soon as you get to this unconscious competence, where the new skills, the new perceptions, the new abilities have become who you are. They're like integrated, you, you work them without even thinking about it. You move in the new ways. When that happens, the team around you says, okay, time for the next breakthrough. And there's no real time for things to solidify. You just keep in the flow. And that's why we call this learning spiral, is you just keep moving along. But without the other team, I know people who, who make it to the unconscious competence in one area and then solidify a, a reputation or copyright a process or a method and think that they've achieved something that is going to last them the rest of their lives. And I think if we looked around, we could basically agree that the background purpose of the universe is evolution. And so if we have a, a part of us inside, inside of ourselves that's able to evolve, but it's defended by this structure that we build around ourselves, the acorn shell, if we ossify into this defensive position, the universe is going to just eventually get pissed off because it wants the, the organic being part of ourselves, the, the thing that can evolve to evolve. And it's just going to hammer us with some kind of, a, a, like you said, a crack, a new crack. And when the universe has to hammer us to make a crack, it costs us our bank account or a marriage or a leg or whatever. It, it costs us something really big. So I think in a way, permaculture itself may have ossified to some degree. Maybe may have may have solidified itself as a defensive position against against the evolutionary process. And what what if you do that in kindergarten? You know, what if you do that in kindergarten and there's so much more to learn and unfold and you know that could come out of there? It's it's really uh, detrimental to the to the genius, the original genius behind permaculture. It was because it's pure genius, you know? It was brilliant. It's, a, it's an original invention out of nothing. It had so much of a, and then to come into a, a defensive, maybe even crystallized positions of territoriality, you know, this, this is one, this is the way to do this. This is the way to do that. This is the, the finished product of permaculture. I, I don't think that's a healthy state. I don't think that's, the way and you can only do that if you eliminate the word consciousness from from the formation of what permaculture is and when you add consciousness back in it's going to take the thing into a liquid state it's going to melt it down into this flow again this is on the one hand really scary and on the other hand what, what the most wonderful thing that could possibly happen yeah, hundred percent. Oh, it's so beautifully articulated. In the last few years, I'm just getting, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of cautious guy and a little sensitive to <laughs> criticism. But I've been pointing out some of these cracks and copping remarkably little flack. You know, even though that is there, and, and I'm actually, in some ways, I'm happy at there. I'm, I'm happy that to me, and sometimes I think, oh, great. At least I want some evidence that permaculture's immune system is still intact, because, because of course, <laughs> you don't just want anyone to be come along and just sort of shift the whole thing. Um, so some defensiveness is. I'm, you know, I'm kind of glad to have a bit of that, but the vast majority of the responses, because making permaculture stronger is all about this. Like I, I, I think as, as I've expressed to you and others, call me crazy, but I genuinely believe that right now permaculture is having an existential crisis that it's largely mm. unconscious of, um, mm. and that it's standing at a fork in the path, and it has a decision to make, and the decision is adapt or die. 
and the adaption is around liquefying and loosening up and bringing out into conscious awareness again our process understandings and collaborating and getting really excited about evolving those and having a laugh about the fact like how how the hell did this happen how did this fall off the table because it's it's so core and crucial to what permaculture is all about and to me it's permaculture's potential as david Hompkins said at a talk in april last year that part of what permaculture is about and includes is all these great things all these great outcomes techniques and strategies for doing stuff on the land and laying things out which the rest of the culture the larger culture that permaculture sits within it it, it can check out and it can pluck out the ones it likes and, and take them in different directions and it leaves behind the failures because part of what mm. permaculture is is an experiment. Let's find out what works and doesn't work before we don't have that luxury. So I said, well, what, if, the, if that's what we think permaculture is, then what does permaculture get left with? The stuff that didn't work, <laughs> as opposed to the thing that can't really be copy and pasted, which is healthy process, conscious process. And, mm. and it, I mean, I know so many listeners will be saying, hell yes. Like I just talked to so many people that are starving, hungry for this kind of stuff. And I think you're exactly right that, Along the way, there was some sort of ossification and that critical part of permaculture's agenda and what it's all about has fallen off the radar. And in my collaborations with David Holmgren, the surviving of the two co-founders of permaculture, I was, I've been shocked and amazed that he explored a lot of the same territory 35 years ago or, some, or something. Whoa. Yeah, he, he was introduced by, to something called strategic planning by one of his, his second great mentor, Hakai Tani. And that was all about transformative, iterative, deep immersion. Um, it, was, it was about getting away from the, oh, the master planning stuff. And David, at the time when he saw, I guess, the ossification start, or one thing he saw was design process solutions coming in from outside permaculture that didn't really match with what it was all about. Mm. And in a sense, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's, the way he's put it, he's, I don't know if I'd say give, he gave up, but he, he really struggled to, to get that point across. And it's only in recent years that he's really starting to speak out about this again. And another, another thing that he shared to me that's so relevant is that David is a, is a master at reading landscape. I mean, I'm getting footage and, and writing what I see. One of my hobbies is observing him observe landscape. And it's just incredible <laughs> to see him unpacking a landscape and taking little indicators. And wow. One thing he said though, is that when I feed back what I'm seeing him do, is that he, it's helped him increase his consciousness, his awareness of what he's doing because he's struggled in the past also to teach reading landscape to others because, of course, when he's reading landscape, his focus is on the landscape, yeah. not on what he's doing to read landscape. And so one thing that I just feel so grateful for, and it's a big part of why I'm still so excited to be part of permaculture, is David's just his humility. And yeah, like we don't have it all sewn up and I'm excited to be learning more about what I'm doing when I'm in a healthy process. And so to me, that bodes so well for, well, permaculture choosing the, <laughs> the grow and adapt and evolve juncture. And I mean, let me state this as a prediction. I believe that possibility management has a really exciting, crucial contribution to make to this whole conversation. So I predict that, say, five years from now or you know, in the coming years, that permaculturists will be hearing this phrase more often and that there's going to be some really exciting synergies uh, emerging. And oh, I, guess, I guess this conversation right now is <laughs> part of you know, contributing to that, seeding that. Which mm. I'm deep honored to be part of. Yeah, I was, I was while you were talking, I was realizing how consciousness is a field, and the evolution process of letting go of the current defended knowingness about what is about, for example, permaculture. One hopes, or one would think, in our human condition, we would think, well. 
if I'm going to change I, is in the design, you know, I need to know, I need to have a vision of the design. I need to know the outcome of the design. I need to kind of predict where this is going to go. And that all of those are completely excluded in the domain of evolution. Evolution is called evolution because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You cannot know what the outcome will be. And this is, oh, this is really, this is scary. This is scary stuff. It's like, and, well, it's thrilling also. I mean, it's exciting also. And there's uh, this field effect of consciousness. What I've found since I started radically relying on the field of consciousness to support the evolution of our own work in possibility management, and I think the same thing can happen in permaculture, that we can start to radically rely on the intelligence of the field of consciousness to guide the evolution, even though we have no idea of what the outcome will look like. And what that means is taking apart the thing and letting letting the pieces go in flux with each other, in relationship with each other, without already having some design concept of where we're headed for. Because the intelligence that I've found is so far vaster than what I could imagine an outcome of the design to be. It's far more intelligent, complex, sophisticated, elegant, beautiful, and efficient and effective than I could even imagine in my biggest, brightest moments, it just blows my mind over and over again. But it requires this letting go of the grip on the known. You know, modern culture hammers in us through its educational systems and its constructs how important knowing is. One of the worst possible things you can say is, I don't know. Or one of the, one of the per- worst possible experiences, not knowing already the answer to what their teacher is going to call on us to have. If we don't know the answer to that already, we're in deep shit. So like this is hammered into us at a very deep, almost cellular nervous level, having to know. And it's so contradictory to the evolution of consciousness. And so to use the, and to, to surf on or to fly with or to float in this in the intelligence of this field of consciousness with regards to inner and outer permaculture work is i think it's a um, such a huge possibility and at the same time it requires a, a new set of skills it's almost like we're designed to fly and we've been trained to crawl on our bellies in a way And it's like, okay, okay, what are we talking about here? Well, there's a way that uh, our inner experience, I don't know how it is for you, but in my relationships with other people, I keep thinking I understand how things go. And so, for example, in a group, in a team, you know, permaculture is not done one person at a time. Permaculture is done in groups and teams and projects. So there's this field of the project, and it has more intelligence than the individual participants. And so relying on that field to evolve the consciousness of the people as fast as is necessary to evolve the consciousness of the project in the sophistication and elegance, this, this is a whole new set of skills. And I think that's where we're going with this. Oh, so much so. <laughs> My spine's been tingling. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Like um, I mentioned Yasha Raw, a German colleague, and he, mm-hmm. he's been on the same journey. He, he realized some decade or two back that permaculture didn't have the process solutions he was striving for. So he's evolved, mm-hmm. he's evolved what he calls the, the field process model. And he, he has a really, 
a distinction I love between what he calls procedures and processes or procedure and process. And he says, you, you need, you need both or, or you need procedures and hopefully they'll get you to process. But you, he described procedures as like you, you put your surfboard on the car and you drive to the gas station, you drive to the ocean and you're paddling out. These are all procedures. At some point all going well, you catch a wave and then the process starts. And for him, <laughs> how he talks about it is, is in terms of a field is that your, your job is to immerse um, he calls it emergence, um, which later, later the emergence happens, but you, um, you immerse and your job is to achieve a state of what he calls field intuition or field resonance. And, mm. and for me, along with what you've just said, that's been just the most exciting part of my journey as a, as a permaculture designer is to, mm. is to move from being the expert designer whose job is to um, think of clever things and impose them on the site, um, which is what we're trying to do culturally and i think that's probably a big part of this what it means to be crawling <laughs> rather, rather than flying mm. and, and learning to to trust and honor healthy process and the yeah the, the intelligence of the kind of greater intelligence of all the different people and the plant, plants that the immersing in the field of the whole system and, and instead the process rather than being a microcosm or a, a, a new iteration of really um, imposition which is kind of colonial imperial stuff you know it's like basically plonk something on the site from outside you should do this because I thought oh, I would draw it on a piece of paper and then impose it. Flipping that totally upside down and, and how, how does the process become like a gateway or a portal through which these, like you say, this insanely beautiful, alive, whole, perfectly adapted solutions can emerge where the feeling is, I can't remember where I got, I heard this quote from someone, but they said the feeling of a life fully lived is, is like a continuous free fall into the unknown. It's like all, all you can do is be here now and nourish and support the conditions for the right thing to emerge now, the best step to take now. And you take it and then the whole, the whole field is, you know, it sends a riffle, ripple through the field. It's a different field now. Realizing how much time we spend generally, myself anyway, culturally and then as a permaculturally, playing around, going into the future with our minds, you know. And I used to say, okay, so this is where you'll be in 10 years. So I'm going to draw you a picture of where everything will be in 10 years and, and how every moment you spend... 10 years from now or one year from now or 10 minutes from now, every second you spend there is a second you're, you're not here. You're not present to what's going mm. on right now. And we can never predict how things, well, that would be terrible if we could, right? Well, I mean, I don't think it's even possible. And so what does this mean? And like you say, it doesn't matter if it's architecture or permaculture or group relationships or eco-villages. I totally hear you. It's exciting mm. to hear you languaging it in your own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's important for everybody to understand that not everybody needs to be an expert or master of process for the entire permaculture system, for example, to benefit from it. It's almost like if you think about a jumbo jet going over from London to New York, not everybody needs to be a pilot. So, you know, a few pilots and, and crew and staff can actually get this this whole thing to to shift from one continent to another continent and it's it's one of the specialty skills i think within permaculture like the evolution and transformation part of the permaculture game world can it needs to blossom basically and it doesn't mean everybody you know there that we we still need the research we still need the the basic research and the and the fundamentals and then we still need the procedures like you said we definitely need the procedures and the ways that it goes and between the two is these evolutionary process steps and guiding guiding processes through the liquid state the falling apart state and the 
the reordering states and calling in the forces of the consciousness and awareness and the, the, and the outcome, like when a thing starts coming together into new outcomes, documenting that, communicating that, bringing it into the practical parts, like that whole middle stage of the, the process part is a set of specialty skills that not everybody in permaculture needs to have, but it somehow needs to be included, needs to be integral into the whole game world of permaculture that the um, when process is needed, the process navigators need to be there and like take the thing apart, pull the thread out. The thing needs to fall into its components and reorder themselves and new stuff things fall away, new stuff comes in, new new possibilities emerge, and then it kind of flies out again. And that's this ongoing thing. And so, but it's, if people in the permaculture right now look at themselves and go, hey, well, I don't really have the process navigation skills. I'm not a process wizard. You know, I'm not, I haven't, I haven't spent 30, 40, 50 years finding those tools and skills and thought maps, like you said, and processes and models, it doesn't mean they don't exist because they do. That's what I'm saying. And so this, this where I see this uh, a positive outcome of the integration of, for example, things like possibility management being coming in and playing their role in the emergence of the death and resurrection show of permaculture as it goes through this, like you said, this choice point. You know, and I imagine not everybody's going to make the same choice in permaculture is already splintered into a number of different philosophies or something like that. But the ones who make the the choice point to include the process part of permaculture and the, also the inner process part of permaculture. So you have inner permaculture and outer permaculture as part of the game world. I think it's just, if I was to estimate five years from now, they'll be more thriving. It'll be the more thriving part and the more exciting part and attractive and, and nutritious and inspirational part. You know, the one that's really taking off into new territory. Well put. That's great. As I've mentioned to you in some of our chats, one phenomenon I've noticed in permaculture is it's a kind of splintering in the sense that somewhere along the way, someone realized, oh, permaculture, there's nothing that's been really applying permaculture to finances. So let's do some stuff on financial permaculture. Let's do some stuff on spiritual permaculture or there's, there's movements within permaculture around women's permaculture, creating healthy spaces for these different aspects of, I guess you could say the broader permaculture agenda. And a concern I've had isn't as wonderful and important as that is. I mean, I talked to someone yesterday who's doing some work to start uh, the global community or group around permaculture how, and health and the healthcare profession and so on. My mm-hmm. concern is that, yeah, and as you're talking, I realize, oh yeah, it's almost like, because the thing is, all of those things involve process. And if our process literacy is low, we're not, the consciousness is not particularly high, what we're going to be taking with us from the permaculture kind of mainstream into all those little pockets is the yeah. same issues, you know? So it's like a, the Hydra situation. The thing is splitting. I, I like your way of thinking. It's almost like one of those things in a core one is perm- the permaculture process people or group. And like you say, that's not going to be everyone's thing. And that would be a problem if it was everyone's thing. But that is appreciated as a critical part of the bigger picture. And that all of these different bits and pieces are somehow in communication with that. And it's not all these separate conversations where people are well, I believe down the track, if, if all these bits and pieces evolve in a healthy way, they're effectively going to be making the same discoveries in their own way. So let's reduce the, the need to invent the wheel and be careful to the problematic stuff that we might be taking along with all the good stuff when we go off in this direction or, or that direction. One thing I was going to mention actually too was one thing I was really appreciating when I was paying attention to possibility management. And I mean, it's early days for me, but 
I'm fascinated by the dynamics of these kinds of things. And I really did have a sense that whether or not it was ever at a fork in the path, that it, it just has this aliveness to it. And the maps, the, the experiments, everything, it really does feel like it's honoring evolution and things are shifting and changing and like dealing with yourself. There's just, I didn't pick up any dogma or any, I figured this out 20 years ago, so that's how it is. Where I'm conscious in permaculture, well, I know there's room for improvement there, that some of the stuff that, say, Bill Mollison and David Holmgren laid out sometimes is sort of uncritically mm-hmm. accepted. I mean, a lot of it's, as you said, genius, amazing, brilliant stuff, but they're still humans, they're still mortals, and of course, of course it can be improved, right? Like anything can be improved. Nothing's finished and perfect. That's part of the whole point of how nature works and evolution works. And, and I, I know that David sometimes has had concerns about the extent to which even some of his ideas are, you know, he, he wants people to be criticizing and, 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 you know, not, not just purely criticizing, but healthy self-critical reflection as part of the evolution where that's all that stuff, like all the foundational understandings aren't just outsourced to the founders or a small group of kind of elites or something, but it, that it's decentralized. It's, it's de-hierarchicalized and, and we can all take ownership of participating in permaculture's evolution rather than some of people are kind of generating the stuff and other people are consumers or recipients, you know? Because that's not, that's not how nature rolls. Yeah, at the same time, the ones who go first are almost perceived as enemies. It's like this imaginal cell model, you know, as the, as the caterpillar changes into the butterfly, that paste state, the, the first cells that start reforming into the new shape are attacked as uh, foreign bodies to the original design. And so... But you said, um, and which is fortunate, that you haven't been attacked for making some proposals in the, in the recent past. So I suppose you can keep going making these proposals. And <laughs> but I, I think it's really healthy for people to remember that if something has appeared to work, that we have this human tendency to grip onto it, you know, and go, okay, this is the way, or this is the procedure, or this is this works. And so don't rock the boat. Don't go off and try something new. Because why bother? I mean, this is so far working. And then when you take the bigger picture of, for example, permaculture, is it working? The rapid monoculturization of the planet's agricultural systems and the rapid degradation of the diversity of ecosystems and the, and the fact that permaculture hasn't taken over, for example, governments you know, who are of these huge militaries and are still fighting against each other over oil, which is a, a limited resource that we're burning as fast as possible. I mean, there's a lot of, you could say, insanity involved in, in the current systems that are obviously limited in their, their future is limited. Their best of used by date has, is past. And so there's ways that permaculture could have, should have, has not yet permeated into mainstream cultures, structures and things that need new vitality. They need a complete regeneration into a whole other context and a whole other format. I call it next culture. I call it the culture that comes after matriarchy and patriarchy. I call it archiarchy. It's this emergence into regenerative and sustainable, I mean, it emerges into a, a better form of permaculture that involves both inner and outer. And uh, that whoever goes first is easily attackable or can be considered a wild card or a dangerous element or somebody who's off the track or 
who's lost it, or however you want to say it, it's easy to try to undermine and attack the people who are trying new things first. And on the same hand, those are also leaders are the ones who go first. Leaders aren't the ones who have control. Leaders are simply the ones who go first. And the early adopters will be the ones listening to your show probably and trying to wrap their minds around something that you're saying you can't actually wrap your mind around. You know, if consciousness is bigger than your mind, how are you going to wrap your mind around consciousness? And yet consciousness is the theme of where we need to go with this. Yeah. Wow. When you're talking about invigorating permaculture, I had this image come up of at the least possibility management being like a really kick-ass green smoothie or something. <laughs> permaculture couldn't hurt to take a, take a um, hit off, you know. Some pretty amazing yeah. micro and macronutrients in there. And just quite mm-hmm. amazing combinations. Yeah, wow. I was also thinking, we haven't talked to this about it, and this probably isn't the time, but one, one of the things that um, I think is part of permaculture's reinvigoration and, and, and healthy evolution is really cracking open this whole thing around, firstly, the simplistic dichotomy of intuition and intelligence, let's say, or logic and feelings. The, the thing being that often it's presented as a dichotomy culturally. So I'm constantly confronted by people that say, well, this is how I work. I work intellectually, rationally. And, and some of the contexts I work in, like development contexts, if I say, have you, have you done anything around how it would feel to walk down the street or through the space? That's just off the radar. You know, it's, I think, perceived as Christopher Alexander spent a lot of time exploring. It's perceived as subjective, a subjective distraction. You know, like we, there's no time for intuition and feeling here. This is about rational, scientific, logical progress. We've got a, a building to build or whatever. And one of the things I'm so excited and grateful to have picked up from my work with you so far is this idea that how I think of it is feelings aren't random. They're not some random accident that are just kind of in the way. And our job is to repress them and get them to one side so we can get on with (laughs) saving the planet or whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. around kickers. That they're this phenomenally powerful, useful resource that we're born to be connected mm. with and to use and to channel and to listen to. And I guess I just wanted to float that because I know a lot of people out there str- struggle with this stuff. And, you know, and sometimes it's like, oh, you bring the logic, I'll bring the, the feeling. Whereas, yeah. you know, we're, all, we're all built to, to have that dichotomy dissolve into the, the wholeness, the, the larger being that we are and, and they're, mm-hmm. we're all there to play together. And of course, there's, there's, there's other things as well that I've learned about from you. In addition to that, where I'm starting to realize for me, what I mean by holistic, holistic design or holistic decision making is on, literally honoring the whole, honoring the wholeness of who we are as individuals and groups. And that, that brings a whole new perspective on, on design process in terms of honoring feelings, honoring intelligence, honoring the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah. yeah, because most of us have been brought up in a westernized education system and starting with even grade school and high school and then university and postgraduate work it all has this intellectually oriented verbal reality context and uh, where we're actually doing defensive learning which is where we're only able to learn about things that we already know about and we build a knowledge continent with these pieces of information if, the, if something doesn't fit onto the already existing kind of group you say the the average intelligence if it doesn't fit into that it's invisible or it's it's thought to be meaningless or useless but what we've been finding in the 40 years of research research and possibility management is that there are huge inner and outer resources that a human being has to use in their design work in their in the creation work the conscious creation work is huge inner and outer resources 
that modern culture knows nothing about and cannot, of course, initiate us into tapping into, preparing ourselves to tap into, and tapping into these resources that are both inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves. And this is all part of the permaculture world. It's all part of it that needs to be. It needs Those resources are, as you said, they're elementary and fundamental to the, the successful emergence of the, the new permaculture or inner, inner permaculture and outer permaculture working together through the process of it. Those resources are needed. And they're, they're not so elementary as just simple feelings. There's huge, there's extraordinary and archetypal resources available to us. And we're, we're designed for this. Like I said, we're actually designed in part of our potential that the intelligences of which are being left behind at the moment. And they're the opposite of boring. They're immensely intelligent, immensely inspiring, immensely bring huge uh, passion to our life and work that was not obvious before, you know, completely not obvious before, and yet totally available. This is exciting stuff. Yeah, that five-day training I did with you, I'd say that was the or among the two or three least boring things I've done in my life. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and, and for me, and I've, you know, I was doing my best kind of by myself to figure out some of these things, but mm-hmm. yeah, I felt like I was working with the tip of what I now realize is this incredible mm. iceberg, yeah, the, the resources we have available within us and all around us that we're born to have access to and, and mm. how that involves growing up, maturing, and how mm. part of where you're coming from is that we, we were built to be initiated into adulthood from children at around age 18 and that all those processes by and large have fallen to the wayside. And so mm-hmm. we can go through life being uninitiated children where we, we're not initiated into accessing these incredible resources that are at our disposal. And the other side of it being you have this thing where you, where you move beyond win-lose and you win-win, you, go, you keep going beyond win-win to what you call winning happening, but that it's good in every direction. So, you know, mm. I'm acknowledging that I've still got a lot of growing up to do. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of, in a sense, exploring authentic adulthood for the first time and exciting, but and it's really good for me. It's incredible for my relationships, for my marriage, for my mm. being a dad. It's phenomenal for my value I can bring to my design clients and processes. And of course, it's good for the landscapes. It's just good in all directions. There's no, there's no downside. And so you just kind of wonder, well, Jesus, I try not to think too, too much about the fact it's taken me, I'm, I'm 44. <laughs> I'm starting to grow up, but so be it. And I'm excited that, well, at least it wasn't 60 or 80 or it never happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I should, uh, you, your listeners should know that even though I sound like an American, I moved out of America in 1995. I was born there, but I moved out in 95 to Europe. And I now don't have an American passport anymore. I have a, a German passport. And I, the possibility management was not invented until I, I was outside of America. So it was actually did not, so the stuff that I'm talking about did not come from America. It's not an American thing. This is, it puts people off to, to think of it as an American thing, but it's not. It came in Europe, from Europe. It could only happen when I was outside of the morphogenetic field of America. It could become more myself. And so the other exciting thing is that there's people in Australia who are calling possibility management into around Melbourne and Sydney. And um, there's some trainers coming in, even in March, it's possible to find expand the box trainings happening in Australia in March. I'm pretty sure just it's easy to Google and find that information, but uh, it's available if people want to make, find out more about it experientially themselves. So that would be, that would be great for people to, 
realize and make and make use of as a as a resource a hundred percent yeah yeah i mean I, i'm kind of reaching the conclusion that if when i'm considering serious ongoing collaborations with other people if they can go to, to one of these expander box trainings you know just the potential of the whole thing is off the charts and i'm looking forward yeah. to continuing with some of the, the you know there's these things called possibility labs that you can continue on with yeah i've, I've been thinking about how i talk about it to people because on the one hand i can't recommend it enough um, on the other hand don't come back and tell me like the way it works is this five-day training the way it started was there was sort of, sort of an intellectual survey of the territory we'd cover and then there was a decision to be made which was blue or the red pill do you stick around and as you said, and I'll never forget this, if you stick around, we cannot protect you from transformation. Yeah, um, right. So, okay, we'll see, see what happens. Um, <laughs> and transformation happened, you know, a deep, experiential, yeah. powerful, liquid state transformation, falling into the unknown, a whole lot of f- feelings that I hadn't really accessed before and, and, or, and mm-hmm. it certainly hadn't had the relationship where I can now start calling them in as resources. So it's true that I can't recommend it enough, but be, be warned. Um, this is not, this is the opposite of boring. <laughs> this, is, this is why I call authentically transformative, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I check things out and so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's got my gratitude and approval and, and I'll certainly link to everything that's happening in New Zealand, Australia mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and invite anyone out there who's, who's already been exploring these overlaps between possibility management and permaculture, please get in touch. Let's hook up and, and explore because I'll certainly be doing what I can to, to facilitate mm. this, um, this conversation. It's just so resonant with what I know permaculture so kind of deeply needs to continue to thrive and evolve and, and, and realize its incredible potential and really express its essence, you know, its beautiful essence, its foundational ethics and principles and all that stuff. It needs a little help from its friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we're about out of time, Clinton. I, yeah, thanks so much for your work, for existing, for sending that book to David Holmgren at just the right time so I could snatch it off his coffee table and, <laughs> and feel so much less alone in this work and, and supported to, to grow and evolve and get better at, at being part of all this. And I can't wait to stay connected and see where it all goes from here. All right, Dan. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Done. Wow. I, I, I'm sure you... No, if you listened, what a, I had an amazing time jamming with Clinton there, exploring the resonance. It was so cool to hear him articulate in his language so many of the nooks and crannies I've been exploring and poking around in over the last several years as part of making permaculture stronger. And I just I can't wait to, to continue the conversation. We joked after we stopped recording it how little of possibility management we'd touched on. There's a lot to it, and I would love to explore uh, more of it in, in the connection with permaculture in, in due course and I've started making notes of a whole lot of different little epiphanies that have followed in, in different different topics I hope to explore with Clinton in future. If anyone is wondering I am I do promise that I am about to give that book back to David Hongren and order my own copy. To find out more about possibility management and Clinton's work, Clinton is part of a global network of possibility management a community of practice around it including bunch of trainers if you google possibility management australia or possibility management new zealand or whatever wherever you are you'll you'll track down some stuff online about it i did look up the australian dates if anyone's interested in entering the unknown and highly non-boring territory of these expand the box trainings there's one in sydney 20th to 24th of march and there's one in melbourne 6th to the 10th of april if anyone's new to this podcast and you're interested in the larger conversation it's part of, check out makingpermaculturestronger.net. Lots going on. 
blog posts, essays, articles, videos, more episodes, even the book, The Making Permaculture Stronger book, is ticking along. On April 1st to 5th, David Holmgren and I are running our annual four-day workshop on advanced permaculture design process. Always a really exciting collaboration for me where we're really actively pushing these edges and exploring this stuff. Check that out if you're interested. Details at holmgren.com.au. Uh, I feel pumped and inspired after this conversation around liquid states and permaculture and the fork in the path and uh, all that kind of stuff and feeling um, motivated to do what I can to rock the boat a little bit and to help create a, a place where colleagues that are part of permaculture all around the world that are already pushing some of these boundaries where they can share some of their amazing work. So get in touch if any of this resonates. One thing I was thinking about is that, I mean, there's just going to be so many people around the planet inside permaculture that have been doing stuff around inner permaculture, uh, around, I know there's stuff around zone zero, all that kind of thing. And I, I'd love to make space and to just to learn, to get up to speed with, with what I don't know about or what's been happening. Anyway, thanks again for listening and more stuff like this to come soon. Ciao for now. Thank you.